Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN Footy Podcast. Hello and welcome to the ESPN Footy Pod. We're back for another week. We have just had round four of the AFLW. We are looking ahead to round five as well, which... Sorry to tell everyone, but that marks the halfway point of the season, which is a terrifying thing to think about. No, but it's right too now, short. <laughs> I mean, we know we've said it. We don't need to get into it right now. But like we said, we've just had a phenomenal round for lots of really impressive results, some deja vu for Carlton, and we had dream time as well. So plenty to talk about. Let's start with it. But before we begin, we want to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands we're recording on today, the Wurundjeri people, and pay our respects to their elders past and present. For today's episode, you have me, Marissa Lordanik, and Anna Harrington making her return. So, Harrow, how good's this? We get to talk some footy. There was lots to like in round four. Before we crack into, I think, the game that everyone was keeping their eye on, I'll do a quick run through of the results. So we had North beating the Cats by two straight kicks. We had the Eagles defeating the Giants by seven. The Suns were big winners over the Saints. They won by 14. Port nabbed their first win of the season, defeating the Swans by 66. The Blues, again, managed to pull out a draw, this time against the Dockers. It was 32 apiece between those two. The Dogs were winners over the Hawks by 30. The Crows just pipped the Pies by five. The Tigers were winners, as I said, in that first Dreamtime match over Essendon. They won by two. And the game that I think we will start this pod with was the Brisbane and Melbourne clash. The Lions defeated the Ds by 15. I think the the overwhelming thing that has come from this game is that Brisbane, a lock for flag favourites. Do you agree, Anna? Have to be like, especially with the way they came back. What three goals down at Casey Fields, which is notoriously hard to play at. It's a, it's a unique ground, unique conditions. That wind, that totally exposed ground. And Melbourne, to their credit, have played it to perfection most of, you know, the past seven odd seasons. And it's a really difficult place to play. Um, Brisbane needed to, I guess, get the monkey off their back in terms of actually beating the D's there. And I guess the the character to not only, you know, get back on level pegging, but to absolutely blitz past Melbourne in the end is is incredible. Um, I think we said in our pre-season preview that Brisbane might have a bit of a chip in their shoulder just because of they were probably in the top two teams last year. Like, I mean, it was a top three, right? Melbourne, Adelaide and Brisbane. And to go from winning the flag to going out in the prelims last year would have would have really stung. They managed to keep most of their list together for the first time since expansion started, I reckon. They just look ominous, right? Like, and I know we're so early into the season, you can't pick the favourites and you can't pick winners just yet, but the early running says as much. Um, and maybe it, we were talking about this pre-pod, Marissa, maybe it's exposed a couple of things, a couple of little cracks in Melbourne that has been able to be papered over in earlier rounds. Um, you got the stats on this, but watching, you know, Visually watching that game at the MCG, Melbourne should have lost to North Melbourne. And they they found a way to win, but I remember Mick Stinninger wasn't happy with it. Um, I don't think the players were too thrilled with it either. They they sort of got away with one there or they grounded it out, per se. But, yeah, I think when you play a team like Brisbane, you have to be on all game or you're going to get exposed. So Brisbane, fantastic. And, yes, I agree. They've got to be, they've got to be outright premiership favourites right now. Could change, but right now that's what they are. Melbourne, I think it 
it's going to leave them maybe pondering a few things and that can be a really positive thing that can be a really good thing it can set you on the road to a premiership like fixing those little things that maybe when you're winning you you assess and you analyze but you don't maybe they don't hit you quite so hard or so raw as when you lose so it maybe gives them an opportunity to reassess and recalibrate and you know kick into the business end of the season really strongly I very much agree with that. You said I have stats. I have two stats that I want to mention, one that you alluded to and one that uh, former, well, I was, she's not a former friend, she's still a friend, friend of the pod, Marnie Vinyl, wrote about in her piece for The Age. Brisbane's percentage at the moment is the most ridiculous number I've ever seen in my life. They have a percentage of 321.7 and it sees them top the ladder. The next best team is the Bulldogs, who are also undefeated, their percentage is only 184.3. It's bananas. The the way in which they are able to score is absolutely ridiculous. But I suppose the really pleasing aspect was that when they were confronted with a bit more of a challenge from Melbourne, they still found a way to Mm. find that win. And as you said, kind of blitz past them in that last quarter. So we've kind of seen the range of Brisbane where they can score very easily but they can also... Would you say they've got the range, Marissa? They've got the range, darling. They they have that ability to score heavily, score quickly, just score for absolute fun, but can also defend, can grind things out, can come from behind. So it's all really positive signs for the Lions. Melbourne, on the other hand, I mentioned the stat last week, Gemma Bastiani, absolute stats wizard, said that Melbourne's last two wins were a bit interesting in the sense that they had only won one quarter within those two wins, but that one quarter was so phenomenal that it was able to get them the four points in the end. If I have mathed correctly, Melbourne also won only one quarter against the Lions, but because the Lions are so good, they were able to not only keep touch with Melbourne, so the Ds didn't kind of blow them away and the Lions had to then fight their way back. They were able to just completely, you know, topple them and end up with that win. So, it's really, really interesting how we've all spoken very highly of the Demons and they have been getting the wins, but maybe they aren't as strong as we all think they are. And like you said, it might be a really good time for them to do some soul searching and figure out why they're turning it on for one quarter but unable to get a more complete performance out because I still think that they are definitely within the upper echelon of teams that will be fighting for the flag but at the moment they they were kind of Brisbane's biggest challenger and they've uh, failed that first test so it's going to be really interesting to see where they go to from here what they can change and what ends up being fixed as we kind of enter this second half of the season we talk about flag favorites a team that kind of re-announced themselves, I suppose, as within that conversation were the Crows. They beat the Pies over there. How did you see this one? And the Adelaide basically just re-announcing themselves like, hey, everyone, we're, we're still good over here. I think it's just reminding everyone that as much as you watched the the brilliance last year of an Aaron Phillips, or for many seasons, of an Aaron Phillips or of a Ebony Marinoff, a Chelsea Randall, um, an Anne Hatchard, what really sets the Crows apart is their system and they're so system-based their pressure across the ground remember that grand final where they just pressed like Melbourne relentlessly and picked them off at will like they're so good at that they're so good at their pressure they're so disciplined they're so structured and 
they're just really hard to, to break down in that sense. And Collingwood, are, you know, they're a good team. Um, but I think just it's a sort of win. You're on the road. You, you know, they need to get a bit of rhythm and momentum. That's the perfect sort of game to put away. Like, you know, probably not everyone's ordering the DVD of it, but it's um, it, it's the sort of wins that you need to have. And it's the sort of win that Adelaide, I think, even when they've not necessarily been going as well as they can in previous seasons, it's the sort of win that they notch up and it puts them in a position to finish top two or to claim the minor premiership and puts them in the best possible position to attack finals. They're very good at not dropping games, if that makes sense. Like you have to really earn your wins against the Crows. Um, You think of how they overcame Richmond late. Um, You know, they got hit hard by Melbourne in that first round. And we talked just before about the soul searching and the recalibrating. And that's what, you know, copying a loss to a really good team can do that. Yeah, you just... You can't trust Adelaide to go away, if that makes sense. Like, if you think, oh, Aaron Phillips is gone, so Adelaide are done and dusted, yeah, you, you just can't look at them that way. They're not going to fall away easily because they're so well coached. They've got such a, a good culture um, in their ranks. Chelsea Randall's a fantastic captain. I mentioned all those quality players. They've got great scoreboard players. You know, we talk about players like um, Ponta and um, Woodland. Yeah, you look at their forward line, they always can find a way to kick winning scores. But above all, it's just their system. So, yeah, it's, yeah, I think Adelaide, are, yeah, they're going to keep on being a trouble, especially come the pointy end of the season. And there's no slight on Collingwood, who I think are a good team and should once again be sort of there, thereabouts, come the final six, final four. It's just a matter of if they can actually go to that next level. Um, but, yeah, it's, uh, it's all about Adelaide, that one for me. Ordering the DVD has aged you tremendously as a as a, a way of just. I love I love pulling it out. The ordering, you wouldn't get the name the game of that. Oh my goodness! But was it funny you mentioned like Adelaide are a team that can like mount scoreboard pressure two nine? They would be hoping that pressure is a little more accurate as the season progresses, but. I digress. Adelaide was a very happy town this weekend because Port also notched up their very first win in AFLW and they were comprehensive against the Swans, kept them to only two points and managed 68 points of their own. So it was a really huge win for Port. I think it's fair to say that people expected a lot out of the power, particularly in the kind of previews to this season. So to see them finally kicking to gear even though it was against the Swans who I think everyone pegged to kind of struggle as well it was really good to see awesome to see Erin Phillips get a win in her 50th game she you just want good things for Erin Phillips maybe that's just me but you really just want good things Not for Erin Phillips <laughs> so it was stoked to see it but I suppose the best thing about this Port win in particular was the fact that it, it wasn't their more established heads that were really driving yeah. it, even though... Anna Ewings. Ewings, Dowrick, amazing. And that's a perfect way for us to start talking about how many young guns have been impressing so far. In that game, like we've just mentioned, we had Ewings, we had Dowrick, but it wasn't just Port players. Montana Ham for the Swans was a real shining light in what was an otherwise very dark day, and she yeah, picked up... Agreed the rising star nom for this round. So what have you what have you liked about the kids so far and not just the three we've mentioned, but looking more league wide, how have the kids impressed you so far this season? It's just the um they feel built for footy, right? Like they we've we've talked before about the pathways and you've got players and this draft year with 
Ham's number one pick. You look at Jasmine Fleming over at Hawthorne, who had, I think, 25 touches. Um, these players, are, they were kids who played Auskick and then just kept on playing footy. Like, they're direct beneficiaries of their actually being pathways, right? So now they're settling into to footy and they're ready to go. And if I think, if I'm correct, they bounce straight off Tack Cup effectively. So it's like they're ready. <laughs> they're, you know, they back themselves. They're confident. They've come straight into the AFLW environment. They've had the preseason. I think surely it must help with some of them not having to play in like the oppressive heat of summer as well. That's got to help with getting up to speed with things straight away. But they're just very talented. That's the other thing. <laughs> they're guns. They're, you know, they're getting filtered into footy very young and they're coming through, playing the whole pathway. They're dominating in 18. Montana Ham's a great example of that. And then they're coming into the system, ready to go. They're professional and they want to get the best out of themselves. And, you know, you could easily have made a, yeah, like you, you can make a case for plenty of these players. We obviously saw um, Skepper over at Carlton get the other nomination for Rising Star. I mentioned Fleming before. I mean, Hannah Ewings is only 18 and kicked three goals. Like, they're just very good. They just, a lot of these kids are just stepping in, looking ready to go, and they're just motoring away straight away, which is so exciting. And I think goes a long way or it will at least go a long way towards answering questions around depth and dilution of talent and all that, because you are going to get more kids coming in who are ready to go. You're not seeing so many players, you know, converting from other sports or, you know, having to take time to, to really get their head around the game. These are kids that have been preparing for well, 13 years, realistically. It's like with, with the boys, right? Their, their footy grounding starts at five and continues and goes on and on. So yeah, it, they're exciting. That's, I guess that's what I want to say there. You know, even the ones that are a couple of years older, you mentioned Abby Dowrick had 24 touches and 14 tackles. Like that's a huge effort. So they get stuck in. Georgie Prasparkas um, had 30 touches. Um, Charlie Rowbottom hit the 30 touch mark as well. So these kids are just going and going and going. And it's exciting because it's not just one sort of standout. It's not like it's, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, it was just Prasparkas and Elise Parker that really stood out amongst the kids. Now they're coming through in waves and it's, yeah, it gets really excited for the future. But I think for a few clubs like maybe Sydney, it's going to be a tough year. Hawthorne, it's a tough year already. But when you've got players like Ham and Fleming already showing what they can do, and let's not forget there was maybe an afternoon where we thought Montana Ham might have done their ACL and missed the rest of the season. So, yeah, you just love to see it really, don't you, Marissa? To steal our own words. Yes. I was going to say, I'm really glad you mentioned Georgie Prasparkas and Charlie Rowbottom as well, because I know one thing I mentioned in our preview pod was how these first-year, second-season players were going to go and how much they were going to benefit from already having one full season of AFLW under their belt without having aged that much. And obviously the answer is they are absolutely flying. Like you mentioned, Prasparkas and Rowbottom were so phenomenal on the weekend and you can only imagine they're going to continue getting better not only thanks to the foundation they've had but just being able to play footy constantly and hopefully longer seasons come and that's all part and parcel of what's uh, coming up next for AFLW but the kids were so so exciting like we said Montana Ham was one of the rising stars this week Keely Skepper was the other one for Carlton 14 disposals three marks three tackles a really good performance from her. But the overall game for Carlton, I think the best way to describe it, big question mark because they once again managed 
a draw and it feels so weird that they've somehow managed to do this very rare thing in AFLW, in AFL footy more generally, twice in two weeks. So I think obviously really positive signs for the Dockers that they were able to or they're starting to um, push through their kind of poor start to the season. They'll be obviously disappointed, but good signs from them. But I suppose the focus is more on Carlton and how these two draws are going to affect them and what might come towards season's end. Will these draws somehow bite them in the bum? What do you reckon? Well, I mean, that's, I mean, that's the only way to look at it. They might, they might well go, ah, oh, well, we probably should have got one over port, but we, you know, we're lucky to get a couple of points against Freire. You don't know. It works either way. The thing that worries me more, more with Carlton is the carnage that came out of this. Phoebe McWilliams, season done. A stress fracture in her foot, which happened in the second quarter, ended a day prematurely, and that would have hurt them straight away in terms of their attack. And Darcy Vesio um, reported finger soreness after the game, and it turned out they'd suffered a broken finger, so they're probably going to miss one week. Timing not great. They play Melbourne this week. So you've got Phoebe McWilliams done. Darcy Vesio, you'd think just missing a week. But then Amelia Velado and Paige Trudgeon also are in concussion protocols. So they're going to miss the, the next game as well. So that's pretty rough. We've, the bit of news to come out of that is they've signed um, Christina Bernardi, who's obviously previously played for Collingwood, GWS, Richmond, um, goal kicker. So pretty quickly, has been a train on for them, so pretty quickly bolsters that forward line. But Jeez, that's tough. That's brutal. And, you know, you look at the points dropped uh, or the points gained, whichever way it works out. And um, either way, it's pretty tough for the Blues. So, yeah, it's going to involve a – I guess it's going to involve a fair bit of – going to require, sorry, a fair bit of character to to push through what's now going to be a pretty difficult um, period at least, at least until they sort of settle and – you know, maybe get get Vesio back, get those couple of players back from concussion and sort of figure out their forward structure again. Um, yeah, difficult times ahead. I feel like the draw is the kind of best litmus test for whether you're a glass half full or glass half empty person because you, you really do either look at it as two points gained or two points lost. But I can't imagine that Daniel Harford and the Blues would be uh, wanting to move up the ladder two points at a time when everyone else is moving up at four points at a time. But like you said, it's going to be really interesting to see how they progress through the second half of the season and how they're actually lining up come the weekend because mm. they're, they're very low on talent in that forward line, like you said. A team that does have a lot of talent in the forward line, this is a very tenuous segue I'm trying to I'm trying my best here it's all right we've done pretty well we've been pretty smooth so far so you we're all allowed to have our little slips this is my my tenuous segue we wanted to talk about the dream time game and who absolutely starred in that game obviously like we said at the top it was the Tigers who came out on top really impressive signs again for Essendon yes they've lost twice but it's been by one point against Carlton and then two points against Richmond so even though I'm sure Natalie Wood would prefer wins, you'd have to say for a, an expansion club, losing by those very fine margins, eventually the dice are going to roll your way and they'll be turned into wins. But it's probably more important to talk about Richmond and the Moncon show because she was absolutely phenomenal against the Dons. The question has kind of popped up now that 
is she the best player in the comp? So I ask you, Anna Harrington, is Monconti the best player in the comp? I think when she's on her day, she's just about there. Um, I think she's a pretty complete midfielder, to be honest. Uh, I've rated her. Oh, everyone has rated Monique Conti for a very long time. I mean, she was best on ground in, I think, a debut season with the Bulldogs in a grand finals. Her quality has always been there. I think we can see her reaping the rewards over these past two seasons of um, not trying to juggle footy with basketball, like being able to focus on her footy. But she's just so clean. Like, she's so good out of stoppages. She does the hard work. She doesn't mind getting in and under where she has to. She dances around players. Um, she... Uh, yeah, she's a beautiful kick of the footy. That goal that she kicked against Essendon that effectively proved the, the match-winning goal. Like, it made the margin big enough. I think it was 15 points that it was a long way back for Essendon. I think what's also helped is she's actually getting some real support. Like, Ellie McKenzie's fit and firing enough. She was terrific against Essendon. Watching live, she's tall for a midfielder. She's strong. She's beautiful kick. Um, I reckon that helps heaps. Like there's obviously a bit of grunt there as well with, with Sarah, you know, with Sarah Hosking and um, Maddie Brand Catasano. But I think what has really helped Tessa Levy gets a fair bit of the ball as well. Was it, they, they look a lot better with Katie Brennan in there as well, the Tigers, which obviously she's their captain, but she just straightens them up so much. She reduces the um, reliance on Wakefield, but just I think having that midfield support and a really classy mover in Ellie McKenzie helps because it's not just lockdown and eat Conti all the time. You have to worry about other players. So even that, if that only gives Conti a couple of extra inches, that's all she needs because she's quality. Um, she's got to be a real shot at winning the AFLW Player of the Year because I think she has that style of gameplay that has to catch umpire's attention. As I said, she's so clean. She wins the ball inside and out. She gets goal assists. She is a, must have so many score involvements. Yeah, I, I think she's got to be up there. She's got to be in the conversation at the very least. Uh, I can't reel them off straight away, but just in terms of what she does and, yeah, and the, the completeness, I guess, of her game, that's what I really like. I'm glad you mentioned the midfield support because I do think that has been, I suppose, both her downfall in terms of, you know, trying to carry this team on her back to a certain extent and obviously Richmond's downfall because you you can't just have an entire midfield uh, placed on the shoulders of one player. One name you mentioned there was Sarah Hosking. Her tag on Maddie Presparkis was very effective in this Dreamtime game and I assume Maddie would absolutely be up there in the conversation for best player um, in the AFLW right now. So it's interesting that I suppose she can be tagged that tagged out of the game that or not easily because that then discredits Sarah's performance which was really really good but you would think Conti, Prasparkas, you can't look past I suppose the Adelaide midfield, your Hatchards and your Marinoffs, your, your Brisbane midfield. I feel like there's so still so much about Brisbane that flies under the radar or just doesn't get as much attention as it probably should. And because I am a Bulldogs person, I need to mention Kirsty Lamb, who continues to just be sensational in the Dogs midfield. So I think there's definitely, you know, names around. And I think you have to keep Conti up there because she's so good. But um, I think we said it last season as well um, when we were talking about potential best and fairest um, options. Her name is always up there, but it always comes down to will Richmond win enough games in order to push her into actual best and fairest contention. I still don't know. I don't know if she's so good that she can kind of overcome Richmond's lack of results at the moment, but 
we will obviously watch and see what happens. We'll also be watching and seeing what happens for the upcoming round five. There are a lot of interesting games. There are a lot of games on Friday. There's obviously a day off here in Victoria and the AFL is scheduled four games on that day. So it's going to be a real festival of footy around the city of Melbourne. But what games are taking your fancy from round five? One's got to be the Derby. Is this the year where West Coast can turn the tables? Like Freo have been the big sister in town the whole time West Coast have been in the AFLW. But bar that loss to Essendon, most of West Coast form's been better this season. So I'm excited to see where that one goes. Do you want all three of my ones, Marissa, or do you want to throw one in the mix? No, let's hear from you. I'll pop up later <laughs> with whatever. What You have thoughts, so I'd like to hear them. I have thoughts. Um, I mean, Essendon Collingwood's going to be a bit of fun. Um, again, you just mentioned before, Marissa, about how well Essendon have acquitted themselves against, um, I guess, existing clubs or historic clubs. Um, be interested to see how they go against Collingwood, who I think are good, they're strong, they um, you know, are reliable. I think that's going to be quite a tough ask for them. But the one that probably flies under the radar a little bit is North Melbourne and the Western Bulldogs. I think that's a sneaky contender um, to be the game of the round. North, I think they're, I know that form line does reflect how you're going, blah, blah, blah. But I don't think the results really show how competitive they've been. They probably would feel like they should have beaten Adelaide and they definitely should have beaten Melbourne. So that's two um, losses against really good teams that they've sort of would probably feel like they let slip. Bulldogs, obviously 4-0, and and I think this is the litmus test. You've done it against, um, you know, some expansion teams, some teams maybe that they're expected to beat. They got, um, you know, they it was a little bit more difficult against GWS, but they were never too challenged. Um, I think this is where you go, all right, have they actually, what have they got about them to show that they're going to that next level? So I'm really excited to see how that game goes because I think North are pretty ruthless. They're pretty... Um, they're hard to go up against. You've got players like Jazzy Garner, Jenna Bruton in the midfield. Emma Carney's always tough to play against Ash Riddell. Like, they've got quality. So I think that's going to be a really exciting game just to see where both teams are at maybe. No, I couldn't agree more with that one, and I am really excited to see if my prediction of the Bulldogs being the biggest riser this season is actually based on anything because if they can beat a team that's always kind of been in and around finals conversations and very high up the ladder then I'd like to think uh, I was right with my prediction um the other game that I'm really excited to see though is uh Hawthorne and Sydney neither side has won just yet but we're gonna see a little bit of history surely we can't have another yeah, you say so, that. You say that. <laughs> Have I just jinxed both both of these clubs? But I'd like to think at least one of them will be tasting victory and enjoying success for the very first time this season. I do worry about whoever doesn't come out on top because I reckon then there's a case to be made that that team may end up being winless for the entire season, to be honest. So it's going to be a real interesting one either way. Just to wrap things up quickly, how'd you go with your tips this weekend? Forgot to put them in. (laughs) (laughs) That is the best possible answer you could have given and makes me feel better about what was a very shonky round for me. (laughs) 
oh that's too good i was like i so obviously on espn's fruity tipping platform you can do the men's comp and the women's comp so i got the prelims correct in the men's uh got to put them into my my usual tipping comps have already ended so i think my brain just went don't need this anymore (laughs) (laughs) and uh, i do because i've got aflw tips to do even if i'm not doing the afl or nrl finals so Oh, that's very funny. Well, please remember to do your tips, Anna, and everyone else listening. We've got Thursday games, so make sure you remember to put your tips in. But otherwise, I think that's us done for today. Remember, you can always read Sarah Burt, who wasn't on today, who's feeling a bit unwell. So we hope she's feeling better and will be back with us next week. But you can read all of her stuff over on ESPN.com.au. We can't wait for round five and we can't wait to talk about it with you all next week. Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod wherever you get your podcasts.